Much of the visible church today in America, unfortunately, they want Jesus left in the manger. Cute, harmless, lovable, non-threatening. But what about us? What about all of us here in the room? Who is Jesus? Was He just a historical figure that came 2,000 years ago? If that's true, then all those miracles can't be reality. And that, we know, is not true because God's Word is perfect. It's lasted thousands of years. And though liberals have attacked it, and everybody's tried to demean Christ, He is the God-man who came and rose from the dead after three days and now is in heaven, ruling and reigning, and one day He's coming back. See, the world really doesn't have a problem with Jesus in the manger. The problem they have is the empty tomb. Even when we went to Epcot recently, they read the Christmas story, one of the guys there, and I thought, oh, this is great. Went through the whole thing. Everything was really good. They were reading the Christmas story at Epcot. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Get down to the very end. And Jesus dies. The guy says, Jesus died on a cross. And then he said, isn't that great? He's a loving man. He's a loving man that died. Something to that effect. It's like, okay, now, just bring it home. Bring it home. He rose from the dead and He's Lord and Master of the universe. Let's sing. And let's close. And that was it. And they didn't say it. He didn't even say it. Listen, He rose from the dead. He's God. We're okay with Him in the manger. To a degree, we're still okay with Him in the cross. Because we think, oh, well, that's just humility. But rising from the dead? That means He's God-man. My whole life should be devoted to this guy. Because nobody's ever done that. He's Lord and Master. Today we're going to see in John's account of the Gospel... That Jesus is the eternal Word of God who created the world. We're going to see Jesus is the revelation of God's glory. My prayer is that on this Christmas day, you will be given a fresh glimpse of the one we worship today. I pray we'll be motivated to recommit our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's look at a little bit of background on John's Gospel. First, it's written by John to testify concerning what he had heard and saw, the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved is how he describes himself in the book. It's written to Jewish unbelievers to call them to true faith in their Messiah. And it identifies Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God. And it's given to convict and convert and call people to a right belief in Jesus Christ. Now again, I mentioned there really are two types of beliefs revealed in John's Gospel. There's two types of beliefs. There's a belief that acknowledges Jesus for who He is. 
You could call this the mental assent belief. That is, I affirm that Jesus is who he said he is. Okay, probably, I'm guessing, everybody in the room has this belief. Everybody in this room would say, you know, Jesus is who he said he is. I mean, he's pretty amazing. Now, whether I buy every single miracle he ever did, he came. I I, I assent that he is true. That's one belief that's revealed in John's gospel. Matter of fact, Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John shows this kind of belief. He comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know you're from God. But then Jesus says, you must be born again. So his belief wasn't a saving belief. It was a belief that assented, yes, Jesus is who he said he is. But there's a second belief, and it's revealed in John. It's the heart-filled embrace belief. That's the belief that completely receives Christ as your Savior and Lord. He's the one. He's the master. He's my Lord. He died in my place. He's my king. I want to serve him. I want to ask you today, as we look at this passage in a flyover, a a quick preview of this introduction, I want to ask you, which one of these two beliefs do you have? Do you have the belief that says, okay, Jesus is, yeah, he's there. Or do you have the belief that says, no, Jesus is my life. He's everything to me. I want to live for him. I would die for him. He's everything to me. That's the kind of belief that saves us. When we trust in Christ completely for who he is and what he's done, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. That's what John chapter 1, verses 12, it's all about. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born... We're born not of the blood, or nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. In other words, there's the believers, the receivers who are born of God, and those people are the children of God. The question is, which one are you? It's a great question for all of us to think about. Is Jesus just a good person, or is Jesus my Lord and Savior? Christmas is every day. <laughs> I think about him and honor him because he is my he is the gift of God to me, my master, my savior. Receive him. Now, in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18, it's the introduction. It's kind of an overview of the whole book. It's a masterpiece. It's written with a thing called chiasm. Chiasm. A big word, I know. C H I A S M. I think that's how you spell it. Right? C-H-I-A-S-M. Yeah. Okay. It didn't show... It, it shows a, a squiggly underneath it for mine, so I'm afraid that I might have spelled it wrong. But chiasm. Chiasm is a common Jewish writing style. Okay? It's a common Jewish writing style. It's almost like... It's very similar to poetry. So John wrote the first, first, first 18 verses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this chiasm type of language. I'll give you a simple example of chiasm. Here's one. You ready? Jesus is the revelation of God. There's one phrase. Jesus was worshipped as God by people. That's the second phrase. Third phrase. Jesus must be embraced as God. Okay? Third phrase. Notice what happens. The fourth phrase. 
Jesus was worshipped by God as God by people. What happens? You see this is repeated as that, right? And then Jesus is the revelation of God. Now, why would he use this stuff called chiasm? Why does he do it? This is what John does. Because it makes a point. He repeats the first point at the end, repeats the B point at the second to the end, and then makes that main point. And this is the main point right here, folks. Jesus must be embraced as God. And he does the same thing in the letter from verses 1 through 18. So as you're reading 1 through 18, you're going, man, didn't he just say that back up here? Didn't he just say that back up here? He's repeating himself again. Why is he doing it? Because he wants you to focus on the main thing. What's the main thing in this whole passage? I want you to get the main thing. You ready? Let's look at the chiasm. The Word was with God in the beginning. It's one and two. The Word was the source of created life. Life. Verses three through five. The witness of John the Baptist concerning the true light. That's found in verses six through eight. The coming of the true light into the world is found in verses 9 through 11. Okay, here we go. The blessing of receiving the word. Right there, verses 12 and 13. The verses I just read to you. The coming of the word into the world. Doesn't that look just like the D up before? The witness of John the Baptist concerning the light. Oh, that's what he just said in verse 15. And he repeats it. The word was the source of grace and truth. He was the source of created light in 1 through 3 or 3 and 5. Now in 16 and 17, he repeats the concept. And the word revealed God. Why does he do this? Because he wants to emphasize, he's laying a foundation, 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 main point, foundation, 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 foundation. Jesus is this, Jesus is this, Jesus is this, Jesus is this. The blessing of receiving Jesus. That's what you got to do. Receive Jesus. That's the whole point of the first 18 verses. Does everybody understand that? That's when you're reading it, you're going, what in the world? This is so, wow. It's all about the blessing of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a flyover and I'm going to tell you all about Jesus from God's Word. I'm going to tell you about Him. And tell you again about him. And tell you again about him. And then what I wanted you to do is I want you to think about this and I want you to receive Jesus. If you're a believer, how often do we receive Jesus? All the time. We are trusting and depending. This reception is not a one-time deal. You don't just pray some prayer one time and then two weeks later, okay, maybe I'll go talk to Jesus again. <laughs> Jesus is everything to our life, right? All the time. So let's lay this foundation. This is all just like verses 30 and 31 of John chapter 20. That's the summary of the whole book. 1, 1 through 18 is just like 20, 30 to 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But notice, for, look. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of the book. I just gave you a summary of the whole Gospel of John. That's what it's all about right there. He did. And verses 1 through 18 are the same thing. So what do we want to talk about today? 
we're going to talk about Jesus. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message and looking at the passage. You know, I, I want a word, I want a name to just be so often spoken from this pulpit today that you will, you will walk out it ringing in your ears. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm going to talk about Jesus all the time, okay? Because we talk, we go to Christmas, we do Christmas, and we talk about everything but him. So I'm going to give you 1,000 Jesuses today. I want your mind to be consumed with Jesus because that's what this is all about. Do you understand? I pray that by the end you will love that name even more. First, let's look. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus is the eternal living word of God. Notice, in the beginning was the word. Now, you can you could put in brackets, I put it in brackets here, Jesus. Because the word word or the title word is literally a title for Jesus. So you can trans put Jesus in there so you can understand a little better. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. Everybody got that? Jesus was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, Jesus. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So let's look here. Jesus is the eternal Word of God. What does that mean? The title Word has been hotly debated. There are full books written just on that title, Word. Just from John 1, people have spilt a lot of ink. Just on that one word. The fact of the matter is, is if we think of it in the way the Jewish reader would have comprehended that concept, the title, the word, they would have probably thought of these three main things. These are the things that would have come to their mind. Creation, deliverance, and revelation. The word of God was synonymous with creation, deliverance, and revelation. After all, God's word brought about the creation. So it's highlighting this whole concept of who God is, the Word, that He spoke and the world existed. Deliverance. God's Word brought about the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. So God spoke and Israel was freed from Egypt and other enemies. And revelation, which I think is the main idea here. The Word is the revelation of God. We can see why the Word of God fits perfect for Jesus. Now remember, what's the last verse? 118 says, and he explained God, right? In 118, he did what? He revealed God. He reveals God, right? The Word. He's the revealer of God. It's a perfect Word. And it's, it fits perfectly with the second title, which is coming up. So let's look at... Jesus. Jesus is eternal in verse 1 and 2. What does it mean to be eternal? It says, in the beginning. Have you heard that phrase before? In the beginning. What's the, finish it. In the beginning, God. 
Yeah, yeah, where's that found? Genesis 1, 1, right, right, you got it. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning was the Word. What does that imply about Jesus? He's eternal, and He's God. He's eternal. Okay, so, when did Jesus begin? Trick question, when did He begin? He didn't begin. He's always existed. He's eternal. We asked this, before Jesus was in that feeding trough, was he living? Yes. He was God. He's always existed. He became a man, but he's always existed. Anybody in here exist before you were born? Don't raise your hand. Don't say yes. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No. You started at conception. That's when you started. Not one second before. You did not exist. But Jesus, on the other hand... Always existed. He's eternal. Jesus said this. And it got him in a lot of trouble. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, Abraham was born a long time before Jesus was born. He says, I'm God, is what he's saying. I'm eternal. I'm the self-existent one. Second, notice, Jesus knows the other members of the Godhead intimately. There are three members of the Trinity. The Word was with God. This is literally, the, the Word was face to face with God. It's, a, uh, 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 it's just a little metaphorical picture type thing that describes the intimacy of the two members or the three members of the Trinity. Jesus was face to face with the other members of the Trinity. He was with them. Perfect unity. Perfect intimacy. Acquainted with them forever. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed. They've always existed. They don't have a beginning. And they've always been together in perfect intimacy. What does this say, by the way? What does this say? Think about this. That one of the members of the Godhead would actually become flesh. And then be what? Killed by one of the other members of the Trinity... The judgment would be poured out on that one to atone for sin. What kind of love is this? This is an uncomprehensible love. All to save a people for himself. Unbelievable. Jesus is the one and only God, folks. The Word was God. Get it. Understand it. Don't get anything wrong. Who do the Muslims say is God? Allah. Who do the Muslims say that Jesus is? A prophet. So are they worshiping the same God we are? No, they don't. Who do the Jehovah Witnesses say that is God? They say only the Father. Who do they say Jesus was? Michael the Archangel, who became a man. They say he's not God, so is their God your God? No, they come knock on your door and they tell you, Jesus is not God, but we believe the same things most of the time. They are lying. Everything they believe, the opposite is true. Did you hear me? Everything they believe, the opposite is true. They are completely lost. I know I'm broad, I'm broad brushing here, but the same way with the Mormons, I'm sorry. Anybody that denies any 
part member of the Trinity denies all of Godhead. It's a fact. You've got to embrace the triune God. He's your only hope. He's the one that saved you. The Word was God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Do you understand, folks, what that implies? Think about it for a second. Here is this baby in a feeding trough. He became a man. He became what he created. He created everything. He made this whole world. He spoke it into existence. This is the God-man that's in the, in the manger. It's a staggering truth. That's who we worship today. The God-man, Jesus. So first, in this first section, we see that Jesus is the eternal, living Word of God who created everything. Second, we see, Jesus is the true light of the world. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. Here, this time, it's Jesus is referred to as the light. So that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, Jesus. But he came to testify about the light, Jesus. There was the true light, Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He, Jesus, came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, Jesus' name, who were born not of the who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Look, folks, look what we know about Jesus on these phrases. Here you go. You ready? Going again. This is theology. I know. You're getting theology on Christmas. Who wants theology on Christmas? Church members. Great, 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 great. I want theology on Christmas because I want to know who I'm worshiping. Right? Good. Glad we got that. Yeah, and all of y'all that are looking around saying, why did they raise their hand for that crazy man? (laughs) Because theology is who God is. And I want to know him, right? Like the shepherds ran to see Jesus. I want to know him more. Don't you? So Jesus is the true light of the world. Jesus was verified by the testimony of John. John wasn't about himself. John the Baptist wasn't about himself. This isn't, by the way, the same writer of the book. This is John the Baptist he's talking about here. John the Baptist testified about Jesus. He confirmed, he's the one. He's the one. Jesus was the true revelation of God in verses 9 through 10. Jesus was a revelation of who God is. Again, I want you to get this concept of light. Light is so much closely related to word, the word. They're very much the same. Both of them reveal. That's why I think if you see this whole section, 1 through 18 is one picture. You see, word is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Light, true light, is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And he explained him. The word became flesh at the end in verse 18. It's always about Jesus revealing God. 
When he came to earth and was laid in that feeding trough, what was he doing? He was showing off God. Really? How is being laid in a feeding trough showing off God? It shows that God is a gracious and compassionate and loving God far beyond anything you could ever imagine. Just for a second, just a side note here. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, when your babies were born, placed them in a feeding trough? Please raise your hands. Nobody put them in a feeding trough. You put them in a nice bed, nice cradle, and a nice nursery probably. Most of us. Not all of us, but many of us. We did everything we could to care for them, and Jesus was placed in a feeding trough. How is that love? Oh, folks, Philippians 2 is very clear. Jesus showed us what joy is, where joy is truly found. And rare true joy is found is in humbling ourselves, condescending, and laying down all of our lives for other people. Jesus did it. And he showed us where our joy is found. Where is your joy found, folks? It's found in laying down your life for other people. And Jesus showed us how to do that. And showed us that that's what it was all about when he was laid in a feeding trough. Who are you about? Get this, listen closely. On Christmas, isn't Christmas such a trap? Isn't it a trap? We walk in, we see our presents, they're all laid out for us. We teach them, those are your presents, those are your presents, those are your presents. Oh, my presents! It's all about me! We teach them that. Oh, no, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus taught us that he came to earth to be the gift. Did you hear me? He came to earth to be the gift. Not to get presents. It's interesting that Magi, we have them in our manger scene. In the scene. They should be over there. Way over there. They didn't come until two years later with the gifts. What did he get when he got there? Some lowly shepherds show up. I'm pretty sure they didn't give much because they didn't have much. He was in a feeding trough. He's the light of God. He reveals God to us. He reveals where our joy is found. And it's in Him and Him alone. He discloses God to us. Notice Jesus was the rejected rejected revelation of God too. Verses 10 to 11. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. Have you ever heard somebody say this before? I will believe and commit to Jesus if I could just... I would. I believe and trust in Jesus and commit to Him if I could just see Him myself. If I could see Him face to face, okay, then I would believe in Him. If I could just see a miracle, just a little miracle, okay, then I will do it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lie. You know why? No matter how many miracles you see, If God does not do the miracle ultimately in your heart, it's not going to happen. 
The fact of the matter is, Jesus came to his very own. The Jewish people had the Old Testament. Many of them had the first five books of the memorized. And those first five, five books point to the need of a Savior and that he was coming. And they missed it. And he did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And what did they do? They rejected him. Why? Those horrible Jews. No. Listen to me, folks. By the way, don't misquote the pastor. Making a point. That's sarcasm. That was sarcasm. No. If God would have done it so that Americans were the Jews, Americans would have rejected Jesus. Why? Because our hearts are desperately sick and wicked. Oh, I know this is not the Christmas message you wanted. You come to church, I've got a present for you. You ready? Here's your present. You are a wicked, wretched, miserable sinner. That's what you are. And I am too. You are born dead in your sins. You were born hating God. You embrace God only so you can remake Him in the way that you like Him. Yeah, we followed Jesus. Even when I was growing up, I followed Jesus. It was a Jesus I had made up in my own mind. He was fine at Christmas and fine at Easter. But I didn't love the God of the Bible. I didn't love Jesus. 22 years of my life, I hated that Jesus, the true Jesus. Because the true Jesus told me, sell everything I have and follow Him. Give up everything I have and follow Him. He's more important. You know what I said to that? No, thank you. You know why I said that? Because God had not worked in my heart yet. God had not opened my heart to see the glory of my Savior, Jesus. And know that He died on my place and took my punishment and rose from the dead. And once I got that, my life's not mine anymore. I don't care. You want something? Mine? Can't have it. I don't care. Jesus is Lord. He's God. And I'm going to spend eternity with Him. But you know why I believe that? Because God began a work in me. That's what verse 13 is all about. Jesus established a relationship with God for all those who receive Him. Everybody that really receives Him is because we're born of God. God did it. And now I'm a child of God. And to sell everything or to give up anything is not a loss at all. Because Christ is more valuable. Jesus is everything. Question, is he everything for you? Here's a good test, you ready? Is he everything for you? What if tomorrow the economy totally crashed and all the money you owned and all the property you owned was absolutely worthless? And you couldn't get any credit. And it would take every everything you had to go buy a loaf of bread 
how many of us would say, God, you're in control. Jesus is better. If I die, okay. I want to supply for my family. I'll work. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. But if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Jesus is better than this world. Do you love Jesus that much? What if you went to the doctor tomorrow and you were told you have terminal cancer and you're going to die in 30 days? Would it destroy you? Would you completely be completely lost? Oh, I have no hope. Or would you say, well, God, you made this world. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So this has got to be good for me somehow. Don't understand it. But God, you're God. Jesus, you're better than life. See, that's totally embracing Jesus, folks. We're not told that in churches, are we? Are we told that in our churches around America? No, we're not told that. We're told, oh, just pray this little prayer and walk an aisle and you're set for life. Matter of fact, he'll just bless you. He'll give you a lot of stuff. (laughs) Receive Jesus and it's going to be all good. No, he didn't say that. He says, receive Jesus and father and daughter will be divided. Son and father will be divided. You follow Jesus. You know who Jesus is. It means he's more important than anything in the world. Do you receive him? He's worth it. There is nothing, nothing that I own. And I love my children and I love my wife. But there is nothing I own that compares to Jesus. Brenda knows this and she wouldn't want it any other way. I love my wife. But Jesus is a million times better. He's my Lord. A sinner like me. Jesus establishes a relationship with God for all who receive Him. Finally, we see Jesus as the ultimate revealer of the glory of God. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. For of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained God. He's the Word who revealed God. He's the light who revealed God. And Jesus is the explanation of God. And Jesus came to earth to reveal God to us. <laughs> what a God! What a God! <laughs> Do you see, folks, how amazing this is? The Creator that is keeping your breath going and your heart beating right now. Everything you have, that Creator that made you and keeps your eyes working and your health going, all that you have, that Creator became flesh. Became a man. A staggering truth. He hurt like us. He had the same bones, same blood. He walked. He was mistreated. He was mocked. If there was ever anybody that could have said, this isn't fair, it was him. His whole entire life he could have said that. Mom... You could have done better. I'm worthy of better. Hey, Dad. <laughs> you realize I'm God? That's the best you can do from the carpenter's bench for a toy? Come on. I'm God. You know, you're breathing because of me. In some amazing way. He didn't stop being God. He's still God. A man. Can you imagine being... I love to contemplate this. Can you imagine being a sibling of him? Oh! Why are you more like Jesus? Exactly. <laughs> Impossible! He's always thankful! He walks around thanking God all the time! He's too! He never said, mine, 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 like the two-year-old. Never did it. Never. Because he didn't sin, not once. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Not one time. He revealed God. Did he cry? I think so. That's a method of communicating, I need some milk. But did he throw a temper tantrum? Never. Not once. Not one time. Did he lie? Not one time. Never. God man. Okay. Do you see why we should just give our whole lives to this man? Who is God man? He's perfect. He's awesome. He's life. He's why we live. He's a revelation of God. Let's zip through these. Jesus is the incarnate word of God became flesh. Jesus is the one and only. You know that word begotten? 
You know the word begotten? Y'all have heard it before, right? Begotten. Everybody thinks that means born of God. Nope, that's not what it means. It means one of a kind, or one and only of God. Beloved of God. Jesus is the one full of grace and truth. This is who He is. He is full of unmerited favor. All He was about was unmerited favor. His whole life was about unmerited favor. It was Him. That's, his, that's who He is. And truth. He was genuine. He was authentic. We've been In the past, we've been talking about hypocrisy a little bit and how all us Christians even fight hypocrisy, right? There was no hypocrisy in Him. Not a little bit. None. Not even a little. He was truth. Genuine. Every fiber of everything that He ever did, every word of it of His mouth, every thought that in his mouth, head, everything was always genuine, authentic truth and grace and unmerited favor. What a God we serve. I want to follow Him, don't you? I want to go where He says to go. I want to do what He says to do. Whatever He says, I want to do it, don't you? Yeah, the Christmas message is going over. But Jesus is worth it, isn't He? I mean, I I don't know about you, but let's just go for a couple hours this morning. Isn't He good? I mean, come on. Can I get somebody else? Is He good? I mean, I know we're not normal. We don't normally say amen or anything like that around here. But is Jesus good? He's God, man. That saved you. If you know Him, if you received Him. He's great. He's full of grace and truth. Jesus is superior based based on again on John's testimony. John by the way, who was born first? Trick question. John or Jesus? John was. Physically as a man, John was. But John said that he existed before me. What's he saying? He's God. John got it. John the Baptist got it. This is God. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. But we go to Jesus like this. Hey, homeboy, how you doing? What? We wear Jesus is my homeboy? What are you talking about? John the Baptist says, I can't undo the I can't undo the thong of his sandal. Can't even take his sandal off. I shouldn't touch his shoe. He's so much bigger than me. But we do what to Jesus? Look down here by me. Oh. He's like me. No, he isn't. He's God incarnate. The creator of the universe. Who became a man. Lived a perfect life and died on a cross and took the wrath that we deserve on him. Oh, what a glorious savior. Jesus is the ultimate means of grace. 
And Jesus is superior to the law. And Jesus is the one and only revealer of God. I'm going to give you a little bit of a New Year's Eve charge at the same time here. I think I say this almost every year, but I have a mission and I have a commission and a a call, an exhortation to everybody in the room tonight, today. I want to call you to pursue Jesus this year. Pursue Him. Seek Him with all that you have. Crave Him. Delight in Him. May He be your life this year and the rest of your life. For that is where your joy is found. Nothing in this world compares to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus Christ. You sent Your Son, the King of the universe, the Lord of lords, the humble servant, the perfect sacrifice, the resurrected Lord, the ruling and reigning Master, and the returning King. Oh God, may you be first in all of our hearts. Oh God, take our lives and use them for your glory, Master. We are your slaves. And we take delight in being your slave. For you are a good and kind Master who laid down his life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.